Welcome to the Voices of Freedom podcast by Freedom a la Carte. We're your co-hosts, Devin and Mandy. Each week, you'll hear mind-blowing interviews from survivors and professionals, as well as actionable tips that you can implement in your life to become a better advocate for human trafficking survivors. Thanks for spending time with us today. Now let's jump into the next episode of Voices of Freedom. Today's guest is Melanie Conover, and most of the people here in our local community know her as the director of people and culture at Sanctuary Night, a local drop-in center, but she is also a mindful consumerism coach. What the heck is a mindful consumerism coach? <laughs> That's a great question. Um, so what I do uh, is I get to work with amazing people who want to learn how to buy more consciously um, in a way that doesn't harm the planet or people. Um, so that looks like us meeting one-on-one to kind of talk about um, how do you start your journey to being a more conscious shopper. So when you're not being a coach, what are you doing? Who is Melanie outside of that? Yeah, um, I love to garden. I love to ride my bike. Um, I have a husband and two cats, Nacho and Knives. Ooh. Um, yes, I love them very much. Um, I really get a lot of life from my friends. Mm-hmm. Um, I live next to my best friend, and that just brings me so much life. So I love hanging out with um, the people that are closest to me. You're so lucky to live next door to your best friend. I know. I'll never Aww. go back. It's the best. Yeah. Aw. We share amazing. gardens and... It's really fun. Um, have you ever had delicata squash? No. If not, you need to get it and put it in your garden ASAP. Okay. What, what is that? So it um, is kind of sweet. Like people compare it to a butternut squash, but I think it's even better than butternut squash. And it's round and it's white with green stripes on it. You cut it in half Scoop out the insides and then cut it in half moon shapes. Put olive oil and salt and pepper on it and bake it in the oven. And it's like eating candy. You just eat it off the rind like a watermelon slice? So you can eat the outer part of it. It's not hard. Oh. Yeah, so it's like when you make an acorn squash. Like you can have the outside because it gets yeah. soft. Mm-hmm. I'm going to have to find that. That sounds good. They have it. I got at the Bexley Farmer's Market, because I know you live by Bexley. Yeah, that's like, where I it's first... It's not going to be at the Whitehall Kroger. No. That's where <laughs> I first had it. But then I did find it in a grocery store at Meyer during, like, more towards, like, fallish time when it will be, like, in season. Uh-huh. Um, but, yeah. Sorry. You said gardening, and I was like... Yeah. I'm, like, trying to tell everyone, you have to get delicata squash. You have to get yeah, it. Yeah. I'm going to put it on my list. All my seeds are, like, heirloom seeds this year, and I... Actually, like, thought I lost all of my tomatoes to squirrels. Oh, no. But now all of the thing, all of the plants that I thought were marigolds are actually tomato plants. Oh! So I have, like, eight or nine. And I'm like, I'm like you take a tomato plant. <laughs> yes. So it was a miracle. I cried over them when I thought I lost them. But turns I, out. I feel like people who garden have, like, this love-hate relationship with their garden because they like like planting the stuff, but then they have so much produce that they can't eat it fast enough before it goes bad. So they're like shoving it on everyone that they know. They're yeah. like tomatoes yep. for you, peppers for you. <laughs> I actually love that. I like put them on my front porch and I'm like, get everything that you want. Oh, yeah, that's really fun. Do people take it? 
Yeah, I laid out two tomato plants and people Aww, took them. That's we'll awesome. This year you can bring things to Sanctuary Night. I know. Yes. Very that's, excited. That's cool. Yeah. 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 So with all that being said, how did you start your journey of mindful consumerism? Like what got you interested and, and how did you figure all of this out? Mm-hmm. So I kind of think of this in like three parts. So one, I started um, learning more about human trafficking in high school and the more that I learned, uh, the more that I was like, I need to figure out what I can do to somehow help in, you know, this effort to end human trafficking. Mm. Um, and I didn't really know what I was doing. I switched my major like two or three times and I transferred. (laughs) I found social work and I was like, where has this been all my life? Um, and I absolutely love social work. Um, so I have my, um, undergrad and my master's degree that I got from, um, Ohio state. Um, so it was like through my whole education that I really focused on human trafficking and I had a number of internships. Um, one of them, um, was in New York city through InterVarsity um, Christian fellowship and it was called NICUP and that was that was the place that I really started to learn more about how my purchases impact other people. Okay. I kind of knew a little bit before that, but it's really where I dove deeper. Um, and I I interned while I was there at an organization called Nomi Network, um, and they work with women in um, India and Cambodia, um, and they sell their products. So it's kind of like a social enterprise in a way. Mm-hmm. Cool. Um, yeah, so I learned about that, uh, more about conscious consumerism there, um, and also how it relates to like my food and farm workers in addition to my clothes and things. Um, and then I just continued, that was in 2015, I just continued to learn more and more. But I kind of hit like a point, like a sort of a plateau, I would say. Um, I was like being really conscious with my purchases um, myself. Um, but then when COVID hit, I learned um, more about what how corporations were um, treating garment workers. Mm. Um, like specifically at the beginning, um, a lot of companies like H&M or Zara um, and others decided to um, cancel all of their orders. They kind of panicked when um, COVID hit because they're like, oh, no, nobody's going to be buying anything because nobody's going to the office. And mm-hmm. um And so what happened was they canceled, you know, their orders to factories abroad. Um, And what happens is that factory owners have to front the cost of all of the all of the production costs and including um, paying garment workers. Um, But in this case, um, they were not able to pay their garment workers because when orders are canceled, they don't get sent over to the company and the company there's a loophole in their contract where the company doesn't have to pay for the order until it like gets to them so Mm -hmm. they weren't getting to them and factory owners had to lay off you know um all their employees and or most of their employees and then they weren't getting paid and it was a whole cycle and i i um, became an ambassador with an organization called remake um, that advocates for garment worker rights um, abroad and in the u.s so I kind of dug deep um, into that and learned more about advocacy work, um, not just how do I, you know, be a more conscious consumer in my personal life. But, mm-hmm. um, so that has that was so influential, and that's kind of what led me into um, more research and coaching. So when you say garment worker, can you describe that population? 
Yeah, so it kind of depends on the area. Um, there is a large, there's a large um, garment production. Um, how would you say that? There's a lot of people in Kimbo in sorry in Bangladesh um, that make garments. So um, it's like one of the top countries with you know the most amount of garment workers and garment factories. Um, and so that's one big place. Also, um, China is of course a big place. Um, India. So that that population looks very different um, all over, and mm -hmm. they have different levels of protections through the government. Um, and you know, within unions, some places are not able to have unions because they're like illegal or. Um, other stipulations like in India, but Bangladesh has a number of unions. Um, in the U.S., the actually um, state that has the, the largest amount of factories is L.A., um, and there are like a certain number of, I don't want to get the number wrong, but hundreds of um, garment workers who work there, and most of them are like uh, young women of color. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So, so you... So you kind of made the correlation, but I want you to go like more in depth. You said that you were focusing on human trafficking and how to help that. And then you got into mindful con consumerism. Like, I'm assuming the bridge was labor trafficking. Can you like speak on that a little bit more? Yeah. So um, I started learning then at Nightcup more about, you know, how my purchases impact other people. And so that includes labor exploitation and labor trafficking. Um, so those are not like the same thing. Um, labor exploitation is like, actually it's not a legal term. It's sort of um, a blanket, I guess mm -hmm. um, you would say. So um, forced labor is not the same thing as labor trafficking, but like labor trafficking and forced labor are labor exploitation, hmm. um, if that makes sense. <laughs> it's a little bit confusing, um, but I start so yeah. I started learning about labor trafficking in that way that my purchases are sometimes made by people who are trafficked or exploited for work, um, and yeah, I mean that was really because I knew so much about human trafficking and I worked with human trafficking survivors. It really um, like hit home, I guess, mm -hmm. um, because they were just being exploited in a different way. Like garment workers are exploited by companies. Um, who, you know, use their power to intimidate them and to force them into work, even if it's not how they recognize, um, even if they can't recognize that that's happening because they don't know their rights, especially in the mm -hmm. U.S. Um, and then, you know, there's intimidation, um, just like, you know, a sex trafficker or a sex trafficker, um, you know, makes that victim dependent on them, you know, just like the corporation right. makes the worker dependent on them for mm -hmm. all of their needs. Yeah. And I think this is a good time to like restate that trafficking, labor trafficking, human trafficking, sex trafficking, that all happens here in the U.S. Like a lot of people have this image from movies that, you know, women are. It's only in like foreign countries. Yeah. And a foreign country are you know, kidnapped and put into a van and like that's what they think of and that's not how it's happening. It's happening here in the States as well. Um, so as as much as sex trafficking is happening, labor trafficking is happening here too. Do so you have <clears throat> sorry. 
Do you have um, any resources or um, places people can go or, or like websites or whatever to learn more about labor trafficking? Do you have a plug you want to share, like how you maybe learned about that? Mm -hmm. or? So I actually started learning more about labor trafficking. Um, I mean, there are a couple different places, but um, really through the avenue of garment work. Um, but I also interned with International Justice Mission, which is like a global anti-trafficking organization um, based in D.C., but they have like 17, maybe more now, um, field offices around the world. So they work with people, um, you know, who have all sorts of different, um, who are, you know, exploited in different ways. So human trafficking, forced labor, um, and police abuse of power, um, specifically in like Ghana. Um, but there are also like, you know, kids who are, um, forced to work in the fishing industry. Um, and so like things that we don't even think about because we don't think about that kind of industry here mm -hmm. in the U.S. Um, and so I, I started actually learning a lot more through International Justice Mission. So I would recommend um, looking at, you know, what they do. They're incredible. Um, I also started following like Clean Clothes, Pan Clean Clothes Campaign, Labor Behind the Label. Um, those were like really the places that I started to learn more. And that's like specifically through the garment industry, but you know, there are other organizations that of course I'm not gonna remember off the top of my head, but like <laughs> but like yeah. related to farm work. Yeah. Because um, yeah. that's huge. And um so there's a lot of different resources that like I can provide you as well. Like, yeah, awesome. Um I can put those in the show notes too for yeah. people to look to. So what are the first steps someone should take to begin their mindful consumerism journey? Yeah, it's such a big question. <laughs> I was going to um, say, something on your social media struck me, and it would be like a very easy start, is how you post that you do clothes swaps. Yeah. So instead of buying clothes, you find people to swap clothes with. Yeah. So I love that. I, get to, <laughs> I, get, I do that like twice a year. Um, but so, yeah, that's a, a huge step um, because consumerism drives human trafficking and labor exploitation because somebody's got to do the work, right? Mm -hmm. And somebody's in power over the people doing the work. Um, and so the more that we buy, the more that that feeds into that system. And that doesn't mean that individuals are like solely responsible. It's like, you know, the people who are doing the most exploiting are, are companies. Um, but anyway, I digress. Um, mm -hmm. So the first thing that I would say is to, um, I mean, I think it's obvious, but to continue learning more. Mm -hmm. um, and actually, I would say start with learning more by asking a lot of questions. So asking, like, where did my shirt come from? You know, what did they look like? Um, what is their family like? Where do they live? Um, I mean, I also act, like think about, you know, where is my furniture made? You know, where is that, that fabric on that chair produced? Um, who picked the fibers? You know, who was in the cotton fields? That kind of thing. Um, because we really don't think that far back mm -hmm. often, you know, but there is somebody all along that production line um, 
we don't think about like the fibers that have to be picked on the farm. Um, and then who has to weave that and um, who has to then make the garment. So I would start, at, start by asking questions like that um, and then follow organizations like Remake. Um, like, I mean, I think, I think that their tag, their, um, oh my gosh, what is that called? Tagline? Tag, yeah, social media. Oh. <laughs> tag thing, yeah, um, is remake.world. Um, but then also, like I said, the clean clothes campaign, labor behind the label. Um, there are, are like a number that you can follow. Um, Conscious Life and Style is a great place to learn more. Um, she has a podcast as well. So really look up those places, listen to those podcasts, um, you know, read all the articles on Remake's website if you don't follow, um, if you don't have social media. Um, and then I would say, you know, one big step is to learn how to advocate um, because we can start with our own actions mm -hmm. and being a conscious consumer, um, which I would say is the next step. Um, but really, advocacy work is what's going to be the thing that makes the difference. Um, we've had like a number of campaigns with the, with Remake and other organizations that I follow, um, where you know we've been able to pass legislation to make sure that workers in LA are receiving a living wage, um, or receiving at least the minimum wage. Um, so there are worker protections that we've advocated for that have gotten passed, and um, so it's really awesome to be part of a group and an organization um, that is working so hard to make a difference and um, improve the lives of farm workers. Um, so I would, you know, say continue to figure out how to advocate by following those you know, organizations. Um, and then, of course, like, be really conscious of what you're buying. And that doesn't mean they have to be 100% perfect, because mm -hmm. we can't know everything. Um, but you know, do your best. And because that is what motivates me to continue advocating by asking those questions and by, um, you know, by being really conscious of my purchases, then I can be like motivated to continue to advocate um, for, you know, those workers to get what they deserve. Mm -hmm. um, and then I would say, well, I'll just do three steps. Okay. There's so many things. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. So sharing all of that with us and knowing that you're a, a mindful consumerism coach, if someone was interested in working with you, um, how could they get in touch with you? Um, yes. So um, they can email me. So it's mindfulconsumercoach at gmail.com. Um, and then they can also follow me on social media. Um, I think it's Melanie underscore Lilic underscore Conover. I know that. <laughs> I will link I that in the show notes. Melanie Conover. Yeah. And I really love to post like not just education um, about like where to shop, but honestly, I, I post a lot about advocacy stuff because I'm really passionate about that. So, um, and then you can just like email me or direct message me. Um, if you want to learn more, I'm happy to do like, you know, a 20, 30 minute call to talk about, you know, what it could look like, or um, if you just want, like, a one session, or you want to do, like, you know, six sessions, or whatever mm -hmm. that might look like, then we can talk about that. I love talking about this kind of stuff. So we had a workshop here where you um, came in and did, like, a workshop on mindful consumerism. Would that be something that you would also be interested in doing for other 
places if they wanted to like hire you to bring you in for their staff yeah i would love to do that okay. i like doing those kind of trainings and also like consultation stuff i really um am passionate about too awesome so those are our questions that we had for you is there anything else that you think like would be really impactful for our audience to know about mindful consumerism I mean, there's a plethora of things, there's but like so one small thing. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think the biggest thing that I, I really want to emphasize to people is like giving yourself grace because I have to do that all the time. Mm. I can't be perfect um, in this way, but that also doesn't mean that I have an excuse to turn my back from it. Mm-hmm. Um, this is something that impacts all of us. We all, it's a universal thing. We all have clothes and Um, We all eat food, you know, when it comes Mm -hmm. to farm work. So it's, I mean, it's important to give yourself that, that grace and know that you can't do everything perfectly while also, you know, holding in the other hand um, that you also like have to be aware. Um, So I, there's a lot of dissonance uh, that we experience Mm -hmm. in this. And so I would say like hold, experience the dissonance. Right. Like you can hold both at the same time. So Mm -hmm. don't fight against the dissonance. Like I think lean into it um, is something that I, you know, tell coaching clients a lot. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you.